How do you grow like a VC-backed company without taking on investors? Do you want to create a lifestyle business, a performance business, or an empire? How do you scale to an exit without losing your freedom? Those are the questions, and this show is the answer. Welcome, everybody, to the Scale Up Show. This is your host, Ryan Staley, and I have a very special guest with me today. I have Shlomo Mervis, who is a founder and CEO of Intelligo. And one of the really cool things about them is they do global due diligence, business intelligence, and risk management. And SaaS Form is basically on a mission to democratize trust by giving businesses in the investment space advanced capabilities to run comprehensive background checks. Something really cool about Shlomo is he doesn't just go hard at business. He's got five kids and is a former VP of sales turned founder. Shlomo, welcome. Happy to have you on the show, man. Happy to be here. Thank you very much. Yeah, you always have a bright smile on your face, man. So it's good to see you. And so before we get into your backstory, let's do a real quick revenue rundown so everybody has an understanding of where you're at in terms of your stage of journey. So what's what's your revenue range or stage in terms of your ARR? I would say a typical Series B company. That would be the range of where we are. Okay. So Series B, what's your primary go-to-market strategy for revenue growth? I would say two avenues. One is direct approach, like the typical like SDR lead generation, inbound and outbound, um, an account executive selling to clients. And the second is partnerships, which is getting more and more uh, stronger place in our in our efforts and a good market strategy. Okay. And when you say partnerships, so it sounds like core, like almost like sales go to market with SDR framework outbound, right? And then w- when you say partnerships, what kind of partnerships do you, you typically look for? What's encompassed in there? So the two kinds of partnerships. One is um, certain organizations that sell to the same clients as us. We focus on financial institutions. So I would say any law firm, accounting firm, or consulting firm um, that have an interest to serve the clients better. And I, can, I think we can be very helpful there. So we do a partnership with those kinds of clients. The second part are background check companies that we don't see them as a competition. We come to them, we created this unique platform, um, which we make this whole process much more efficient. And we allow them to use our platform to to make their process more efficient and improve their margins um, and improve their client experience. So it's a win-win. I don't have to run after the end client. They can go and sell to their clients, improve their product value proposition. um, And it's a win-win situation. So that's the second kind of partnership we do. Okay, excellent. So do they like white label your solution then? Is it kind of like that model or no? Not, not yet. I mean, it's something we're considering about the white labeling option. We have to think about how do we create it in the best way. Um, but right now they're using it as a system that to manage their workflow, the analyst work, um, and to really optimize their work, their work process in the best way to really be- get the best margins and the, guess- and the best results. Okay, love that. So let's talk through your solution then and, and like who you serve, because that'll provide more context to your last answer that you just gave. So can you just kind of walk us through who you serve and, you know, like the outcomes your solution creates? For sure. So we're quite unique in the background check industry because we're not only a background check company, we're a risk management platform. So we help manage the whole process from running a report through managing the data through the end report and monitoring and analyzing all the data and all the inputs and allowing the different operational due diligence team or compliance team to manage the workflow and the different team members um, between them. Um, we chose to focus on a very unique niche. One is the comprehensive background checks side, and two is the pre-investment due diligence process. 
So nearly all our clients are financial institutions that do investments. It could be direct investments like private equity, venture capital, and others, or allocators, pension funds, fund of funds, investment bankers, and others who use the platform. So those are the clients that we focus on as clients. Okay. So investors and investment banks. Okay. Gotcha. How, how large is your team? Today in the company, we 120 employees um, gathered through Israel, the U.S., and South Africa and Ukraine. Okay. Wow. So international. And then how large is your, your sales team? Our sales team is not too big. Um, so with account executives, we have six account executives. We have five SDRs. And then we have five customer success, and then we have two people in marketing. So that's all the revenue department, I would say. So yeah, so you said six in sales, five SDRs, three. Did you say four SCSs? Is that what you said? Four, yes. Four, and then two in marketing. Exactly. Okay, cool. And then uh, I obviously we know if you're bootstrap for funding because you said your your Series B range. So that's at the Series B B investment. Just to be clear, correct? Correct. We raise until now $44 million. Awesome. Congrats. Yeah. So Thank so you. walk us through your, I mean, that's hard. I, I didn't mean to gloss over that and just be like, all right, congrats, let's move on, you know. But that's, <laughs> that's uh, from what I've, uh, and I haven't done it personally, but that's one of the uh, most extensive sales processes that you could have when you're looking at companies, a lot of crossover skills. Would you agree with that? For sure. No doubt. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let's walk us through your journey because I love your backstory. Uh, it was something really cool that I learned about you on the pre-call that I thought was intriguing. So how did you get to this point? Um, because obviously it, it takes a lot and there's a lot of failure. I think it's the, the stat I saw was I think 90%, 93% of Series A companies don't make it to Series B. So just to make it past that level is amazing with what you're doing. So how did you get to this point though? Like what was the journey on the way here? First thing, like everyone, it was a tough journey, a very tough one, with a lot of uh, ups and downs. And, and I think I've learned that one of the main things is learning to deal with no and, and not to take it personally, and also to be creative and not stuck on a certain approach and, and always think outside the box and how do I deal with things. I'm also, interesting enough, helping myself to deal with things in a better way, um, I was thinking that... I t- when I hear a no by investor or by a client, I try to see it in a positive way saying, let's challenge myself and how do I deal and how would I accomplish um, what I want to accomplish despite that no. So not take it as something that takes me down, but rather something that gives me a challenge in a more positive way. Uh, so something I'm looking into. Um, as the background, I was always loved business, looking for something I could do also that, that is meaningful. And I started as a lawyer and I learned to learn about the world of trusts and how painful it is if you can't trust somebody and how important it is to make tools that can empower trust as accessible and simple to use as possible. And that's what was appealing to me in the world of background checks, because I think that's one of the most efficient and, and have the biggest impact of for people who don't know each other, that they can learn that how do I know if I can trust you or not? Because today in this world, it's very easy to deceive. Um, so it was really appealing to me that just on the important side, if we can help, as you said, empower trust in the world, I think that's the biggest achievement. Okay, so you worked on that. You started off as a lawyer. And then then where did you go from there? 
Then I was a VP of sales in a company that in those days was focused on more due diligence, a company called Kela. Later on, is focusing more on cybersecurity. Um, and I learned to learn about my passion about technology and about things that I like to do. And really, I, I, I got to learn the world of due diligence in, in a much more intimate way. And I was surprised, like many different uh, industries, that things haven't changed there in that industry like for 40 years. Obviously, there's a lot of things that we can do and change them and improve them. Um, different technologies, different methodologies, data access. And it really drives me to, to, to initiate, to, to establish IntelliGo, um, which basically could, could allow this process of background checks to be more accessible, simple, and efficient. Okay. So, that, I mean, that's... It, and did you just not like being a lawyer? Is that why you went into sales? Why you went into sales? <laughs> Honestly, I never planned to be a lawyer. I just got an offer to for scholarships. I took, I did it. Um, enjoyed the studying. Uh, it was fascinating, but I always knew that I'm never going to actually practice law. Yeah, that's funny. One of my clients started off um, <laughs> as a lawyer, right? And he's just like, I was sitting there and I, I was I was talking to one of the partners and I realized like I hated my life and I hated my job. So I left and he went into sales. So <laughs> it was funny that he <laughs> said that. Because, story. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he went through school. He went to like Notre Dame and everything. So it, was, it wasn't like an easy journey to get there. Right. Um, but uh, not knocking any of you lawyers. There's some amazing things that y'all do out there. So um, just it, I don't think that would be for me. Even though my mom said I was great at arguing growing up, which she said I would be good at, at being a lawyer, whatever that means. So um, anyways, I'll move on before I alienate the uh, the legal community anymore right now. So um, but so so shifting gears a little bit. Right. Um, so you went from um, just seeing all the problems. Right. In trust. And so you said it's very easy to deceive people today. And that was kind of like the apple on the head moment. It sounds like, right, that made you want to enable trust at scale, which is why you created the company, right? Am I putting words in your mouth or is that kind of accurate? I, I would say more that what, what the, the, the main uh, motivation was actually seeing people's pain while being deceived. It's so painful um, and devastating and has a big impact on people's life. And that's what I experienced. And that's a pain of what I wanted to save to people. Um, and I thought that through this methodology of making it more simple and accessible, I can reach and achieve that goal. That was the prime motivation, I would say. Okay. Which is awesome. I mean, your heart's in the right place. If you see that. So props to you, man. Um, that's one of my biggest triggers. If I feel like someone's trying to pull something over on me, right? Like I can't stand that. Hello, this is Ryan here. Real quick, if you are enjoying this episode, please hit the subscribe button and leave a comment or review. If you want more help or just want to learn more about what the top SaaS CEOs and founders are doing, check out my website at www.ryanstaley.io. Join my newsletter, check out other free content resources I have there, and let me know if you want to scale your business. Now back to the episode. So then how did the, how did you this materialize into like a real tangible series B business? Obviously you saw the problems, your VP of sales, you shifted over. And then how did you create, how did you create the engine to grow the business from nothing? 
So first thing I think it's a family effort. You spoke about the fact that I have five kids. Um, at that point of time, I had three kids. And I remember the conversation I had with my wife sitting down said, I'm leaving a job with a good salary and I'm taking this huge financial risk, um, which is going to be painful and it's going to be very time consuming. Are you on board? And she said, completely, I'm on board. And she's been supportive since then, which is important because it's, it's really, you can go through a lot of tough times. And the first year I didn't take a salary. It was very challenging and you need that support at home because you can't continue living your life as usual. Um, so I think that's important to say is for any entrepreneur, I assume. Um, the next thing is the obvious is building the right team. It's all about people. Um, so identifying the right talents and people that have the relevant background to what we want to do and people have leadership talents and skills. And I think that's the core thing of building initially the business. And then we try to understand where are the core points of, of pain for the clients and what can we do if that, if we change those specific components, we can make our client's life much better. And obviously it demands MVPs and, and a lot of conversations and listening to the clients and, and also a lot of um, understanding that trying things that don't work and being open enough that they don't work. And then focusing on the core things that can work. So for example, over the years, we've constantly been tempted to go to other industries. Um, mm. to the, the pre-hiring market is a huge market and third-party due diligence is a huge market. KYC is a huge market. And we decided to focus all the time on the pre-investment due diligence markets, which at the end of the day, I think showed the results. Um, I think... No doubt, if you ask our clients, I'm not objective. I think no doubt we have the best product out there for pre-investment due diligence background checks. Mm -hmm. I don't think there's a real competition out there um, because we really focus on their pain points and their needs, and 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 we built the ultimate solution for them. Now that we want to, now we're planning to expand to other industries. I think we're mature enough in a place that we have a very good product market fit. Clients are very happy, and we're growing there. And at the same time, we can expand to other markets at this point. Okay. That's awesome. I think that's a, uh, one of the biggest mistakes that companies make when they're growing in the beginning. I've made that before <clears throat> um, where you try and <clears throat> go a mile wide and an inch deep. And it sounds like you kind of are going a mile deep and an inch wide, right? On that pre-diligent department, or I should say that pre-diligent focus. So like, <clears throat> let me ask you this. So how did you like <clears throat> for solving a customer's problem to make their life better? Like, I guess like I had to ask you this, like what's your mental framework for solving that and figuring out how to overcome or how to help a, a customer to overcome their biggest problems? First of the most basic level, I would ask them, what can I do for you that can really make a difference? Because we made a lot of assumptions in the beginning um, that they sounded very logic and reasonable, but at the end of the day, they weren't the main pain points of the clients. Um, we were hoping they would be, and we thought that will make uh, will make a huge difference. But those components actually didn't make a big difference. But others did. Um, for example, speed in the most simple way. They indicated that it's painful for them to wait for the background check results. They've done all their efforts on the financial due diligence, on the business due diligence, on analyzing the business. This is a great investment opportunity, and then. 
time is the essence and you want to make a fast decision. And then suddenly the due diligence process is holding back the investment team. And you understand how crucial time is um, and efficiency. So we put a lot of emphasis on delivering report. Today we deliver report in third of the time than our competitors, which is very significant. Secondly, I think is a common problem for many industries as we live in a world of too much data. So I can collect all the relevant data, but if I really need to digest it and dive into all of it, it will take me months. So how do I prepare you a decision-ready report that on one side you get all the relevant um, data that you need to see and dive into? At the same time, you only need to spend enough time um, that it will allow you to make that sufficient decision if to move forward or not. And that was our goal. So we put a lot of focus on that user experience of both how do you consume data, how do we present data, how do, what data we choose to present, in what way. Um, and I think those two components made the biggest impact. Yeah, I think that's, I think you nailed it, right? I mean, we have, in terms of data and information, there's, I think, what's over the last four years, we've created more information through the internet than in the previous entire history. Of, of mankind, right? It's been <laughs> created and distributed. So, and I, I've started to see that too, right? There's, I've had companies that have amazing data sets with what they're doing, specifically in the revenue organization. However, they don't take the time to look at and create meaningful insights from it, right? They're collecting all this stuff, but they're not doing anything with it. So I think it's great that you focus on the relevancy aspect and then speed, right? To be able to do it in one third of the time of your competitor that's hyper compelling or competitors, I should say. So <clears throat> awesome work there. So Shlomo, let me ask you this. So let's, let's shift gears and talk about revenue a little bit. So what would you say is your single best strategy for growing revenue uh, to get to a series B level? And don't be afraid to break it into chunks or stages. Cause I think that would be really insightful to just hear your feedback on that. Right. I think the best, most effective strategy is providing value um, through different avenues. So if it's just providing insights from the industry or providing data or blogs and materials that we believe that based on our unique knowledge from this industry could be very valuable for our clients or advising them, you should be concerned about these specific things or you should focus on looking into these different aspects. Um, and then on the client's aspect, focusing on a lot on making our clients happy because at the end of the day, there's nothing like a good word of a client to another potential client um, to expand fast. At the end of the day, a lot of industries, there's some kind of a network effect and also a closed industry network where people speak with each other and they're looking for what's, what's new and what's, what should they look into and what could provide them more value. So combining and focusing on providing value for clients, both with our core product and with knowledge, I think gained the most. It, gained, it created attention, it created interest, um, it positioned ourselves as, as a company that cares about our clients, that provides data, in a way is an industry expert also in this industry. Um, because if you think about it, we get a lot of insights if so many different companies are running background checks and doing due diligence, each one many times has the unique perspective of what they're looking into, what they're concerned about. And they're all very interested to know what they're not asking because I know what is bothering me, but there's many things I'm not thinking about. 
And what are my equivalent competitors maybe thinking about question-wise that I should consider? Um, or if I'm only looking, if I typically only analyze um, the company and the CEO, um, and then I can tell you, I can tell you the industry standard is that people, people will always also look into the CTO, for example, or certain components of data that you should focus on looking into. And I think these small things are very meaningful and people appreciate them a lot. And that's effective. And then also creating, um, I think, in the go-to-market strategy is important, is a lot of different efforts, and you want to make sure that they're synchronized. Because if all the different departments that are part of the revenue effort are not synchronized, you're not working on full power. Um, and you can definitely optimize your efforts there. And there's a lot of knowledge sharing, um, input from customer success about feedback from clients that... What is our unique value proposition that could be sent back to the SDRs and the lead generation or to marketing on what they need to publish or for account executives to pitch the potential clients on what they should focus about. And it's all a circle. They all feed each other. And the better they work together, I think the better you get the optimal um, results on, on achieving actually closing deals. Yeah, I, I think that's super important. And so how do you, how do you uh, tactically execute that? in terms of the knowledge sharing, do you have a, a frequency in which you have the department share the feedback, anything like that? Or you look at, do you have like a, a conversational intelligence platform you leverage for the sales calls to feed in a product or what, what's kind of your approach with that? Yeah. So we try to also document nearly everything and keep that knowledge and organization will be accessible, both through Salesforce as a CRM, through Confluence, um, Slack, and many different um, platforms. But we also, as a CEO, I'm always trying to find the right balance between knowledge sharing and meetings and then not bothering people too much on the day-to-day -day work. And I think we do have a good balance in a sense that we have those weekly meetings that everyone raises what's bothering them, what achievements they had, what challenges they have, and think together, how can we tackle this in the best way? Um, and I think that's very important. Also something we've put a lot of emphasis during recent, recently during the last year was how do we learn and improve? How do we create a learning environment? I always say I have no criticism on people doing mistakes. All time that you do a mistake and you learn from it, you don't do the same mistake over again. But I actually encourage people to take a risk and do a mistake and learn from it. And I think that's important. Um, but we want to create an environment where we can create that learning process that people are not afraid to take a risk and try and test and fail. And then more important also to learn from it and have the organization learn from that exercise and how to make sure we improve for the next time. And I think that's also a very important process. Yeah, I think <clears throat> obviously you don't want to have meetings just for meetings. So that's great. I love the learning environment aspect of it. Uh, I guess like, did, so did I hear you say, and I think your framework was, was pretty cool. What you're doing is like, you know, what's bothering you, what achievements have you had? And then what are the challenges we need to overcome? Do you have the whole company in on those meetings or those, or those structured by departments? No, it's structured by departments because, um, whole company together is less efficient, but we, we have different forums. Like we have manager forums. So you have representatives from each department as part of that forum, so like for an OKR session, we go through the objectives, the key results, where are we standing, how does it, how, what obstacles are we dealing with in order to, to reach our goals. 
So that's all done in a management forum. And there's a lot of knowledge sharing between the management departments. Um, but it's mostly different between the relevant departments that work a lot together. I think that's okay. important. Okay. And then one of the things I think you hit on that, that I'm a really, really strong believer in and have gone deep on this is, is word of mouth, right? To get that network effect. <clears throat> if you had to break it down into a framework, I guess, what would you, or how would you approach it in terms of creating a word of mouth network effect for, for your business? First thing, show appreciation. Um, I think and acknowledge when people are there to help. And, and I think that's very important. And I think nothing is obvious. The fact that somebody's providing you an input or an insight by itself is very significant. And appreciate that and give attention to that. And when a person makes an introduction to a different department or to a different company, acknowledge that both through a nice email and a letter and through a small gift sending it to him. Um, something that to just show that it's not something obvious and and it's something that we definitely appreciate. Um, and I think we always need to be in the mind of how do we give back also and how do we help full. It's like, I think the world is a circle. People help you and you help others. And I think that's very important also. Love that. So do you leverage a gift giving platform and all then for that or no? We do. Um, it's not a major component. Um, I think the major people's major motivation is to just to help and, and do goods. People, I think, need to be acknowledged. Um, their effort is important, like human beings. Um, so we do. We definitely do it, but not, it's not. I don't think it's the prime source of motivation. Right. Yeah. Well. Yeah. It's just, it's a good token of thank you, is what I would say. What about like you said, giving back, like. What do you do to give back or what do your employees do to give back? And uh, on top of the appreciation, you mentioned that was a good, and I'm a big believer in that too, of karma when it comes to that. First thing, like I, I always ask, is there anything I can do for you? Um, if there's any knowledge, questions, or any connections in the industry, anybody you want to consult with it from my network that I can connect you to, um, always be there on that aspect. Um, and then the company itself, a sense of giving back to the community and getting involved in, in nonprofits and, and, and activities for the community. I think it's a muscle we need to build in ourselves is creating that awareness of involvement in other, in other things. Um, and I think that's important and definitely a lot to improve also internally. How do you find the right balance in focusing on work? and business and then focusing on important things in life. But I do think they support each other at the end of the day. Yeah. I think that's awesome. And it's a really, really strong way to, to, to grow. And I've seen that even when I've done that in, in micro situations where I think, I mean, I'm of the big belief if, you know, you could grow your business by giving first. Right. And so I think that's something that I live by. I'm really passionate about. And so, um, I love it. So um, I guess we're getting close on time. So before we wrap, I guess it'd be good to understand too, like it sounds like you've had a ton of success and you've overcome a lot of challenges to get to where you're at. What's your single biggest challenge with growing right now that you're running into as a company? I think company culture, the more you grow, how do you keep that intimate family feeling that everyone to feel good friends that know each other? Um, it's also part of the aspect of becoming global. Um, we used to be only um, 
employees in Israel with a certain culture, even the language barrier, like, like two years ago, all our meetings were only in Hebrew and suddenly all the meetings need to be in English. And some Israelis, it's a big challenge. It's not their native, um, it's not their native language. So a lot of different barriers. How do I create the best communication and how do I build a very good relationship between employees that is focused on them helping each other, which is much more, it's much more than work as really, I, I want to promote you and I want to help you as an employee. Um, and I think it's a challenge in the world of, of global employment and people around the globe. Um, also with hybrid um, approach, we spend two days, a w- uh, two days a week in the office and the rest working from home, which I think is a very good balance um, in general, but it definitely creates those challenges. So how do we, I, I would put number one companies, culture and, and, and communication as, as the top one. Excellent, ma'am. Well, one last question and then we'll wrap. Where do you see the future of technology and SaaS going over the next three to five years? Well, in general? Like- yeah, we're specific. I mean, you can interpret that question any way you want, man. So it's just like, where do you see the space going and um, whether it's something you're excited about, something you're concerned about? I, I'm not too much concerned. Um, I think I've learned that AI has its limitations. Everyone talks about these robots coming in and, and changing our lives. So on one side, they're creating a lot of efficiency. Um, I always say, and I've mentioned a couple of times, that I don't think AI is smarter than human beings. Um, I think machine learning has a big advantage of gathering a lot of knowledge and data. I think our goal in the world today, I think a big disruption actually in the world of tech-enabled solutions, where I can optimize what us human beings are unique about, where we should put our focus into, if it's based on our intuition, our emotions, our unique knowledge and way of thinking, and optimize technology to to deal with the rest. So I think the, the industry would put a lot of focus and emphasis on that direction. Um, and altogether, it's exciting. I think it's a very exciting um, age to be part of. And I think the phase of how fast pe- things are, are, are moving forward is, is fascinating to see. And I think in our lifetime, we see that many things and many generations didn't have the opportunity to see. So I think it's a unique generation to be part of. Yeah, I agree with you on that. It's exciting. So Shlomo, it was awesome having you on the show. I love your perspective and, and hearing your story and your journey. Where can people find you? Where can they find out more about Intelligo if they want to use you, um, use your company, or just connect and follow you online? For sure. Um, so you can reach us on our website, obviously, Intelligo.ai, um, through LinkedIn, Facebook. Approach me personally. My email is sm at Intelligo.ai. Uh, feel free to approach. We'll be happy to help in any way. Be very accessible. Excellent, man. Well, thanks for being on the show. I um, I appreciate your perspective and, and what you're trying to do. Um, and it was a joy having you on. Same here, Ryan. It was a real pleasure. Thank you very much. All right. We'll see you all in the next episode. Thank you for checking out the Scale Up Show. My mission in life is to help founders and revenue leaders avoid all the pain and suffering 
in revenue growth so they can flip it and create a life of their own design. So if you enjoyed this show, please like, review, share it on social, and more importantly, just share it with a friend. Share it with someone that you think could learn and benefit from what you heard on today. But the more we get the message out, the more people we could help, the bigger the impact we make, and the bigger the community gets, which helps everybody. So once again, thank you for being a loyal listener. I appreciate you and look forward to seeing you on the next episode.